Hi everyone, I'm very excited to host Theodore Galanos, my favorite guest on this show. Like we, I think like this is our third uh, time uh, I'm hosting you. So Theodore, as we all know, uh, the expert in AI AEC in, in our industry. And I wanted to touch base uh, with Theodore. What are current, what are the new trends going on? Uh, for people who are curious about AI AEC and want to learn about the new models coming up, the thoughts and uh, what are some mindset we should be prepared for this upcoming uh, AI progress. So thanks a lot for being on the show. No, thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to, yeah. I, I'm always keen to discuss this stuff. And yeah, it's a lot of fun discussing. I so last time we discussed about semantic AI, your work on text to uh, building floor plan generation. Like, uh, how is that going on? Uh, do you have any thoughts changed from what you were uh, working on and, and now you want to? Yeah, uh, so it's still, it's still ongoing in a sense. Like, you know, like I, I don't know if, if when we discussed there was like, you know, a proper site and deployment and all this stuff, like this stuff, it's still there. There is a few other interesting steps that are ongoing and some that are planned. So like the base idea is there, which which was very important to me. And like initially, like of creating a design with language, right? Or designing with language. So the base thing is there. I'm just now trying a couple of things. One is maybe like publish something in some form so that people can have a reference like they can they can read see evaluations you know how does it work and all that stuff next steps future steps and ideas and then finally share the model and the data set which will happen when when i publish and the other stuff is like a lot of like extensions so there is there is quite a few extensions in my mind i try to not not develop everything together because I, I won't fix the previous stuff. But yeah, there there are some interesting extensions. So I've done, for example, planning. Like in general, what I do, like because there's a lot of developments in AI, as you said, and every other week, like things come out or like trends begin to to develop. I'm trying to sort of follow those trends. Architects, I think, it wasn't really ahead of the curve in AI, but it was quite quite initial in semantic generation. It was it was cool that something architecture was one of the first applications in AI. But there are so many other ideas that I'm just following because there are so many researchers brilliant. So like we, I'm trying to do planning. There were a few papers that trying to do like planning with language models, kind of like, yeah, just imagining future, you know, future actions, future steps, which is very easy to imagine in the design setting because design is a series of steps and decisions, right? So that, that seems to be working. So like, I, th I think I've trained a couple of models that can do planning. I mean, by planning, I mean, they have, you know, they learn a couple of actions, like, you know, create, move, rotate, you know, this kind of stuff. And they can go through a series of steps to generate something. Uh, so that, that kind of worked. And there is, there is other stuff, like there is, you know, I still haven't done the decision transformer stuff, so like uh, sort of uh, reinforcement learning, but like 
upside down reinforcement learning they call it so which also is very interesting so yeah it's it's ongoing let's say but the interesting part and i think i've presented this a couple of times i think in the beginning when people saw it it doesn't look very nice like all these boxes and how they connect this whole design intelligence future and the even architects which i really really like and i focused all these months it's just like one one little piece of that puzzle so so there are other things like completely outside of it other ideas that you know i'm i want to develop so i do have a roadmap in mind mm-hmm. of like you know what what areas we can discuss about what a bit like of like you know what we could do by you know short term short term means like right now like someone could right now pick up something open source online right uh, on the web and just develop something this there are a few of those capabilities and then like midterm which means you know if you put like a few months of effort with a small team you can have a product by product it doesn't have to be a company right or a product mm-hmm. it could be something you deploy for 100 designers or something right for your team or whatever and then long term of you know how do we go towards you know uh, design so like there is a roadmap for that i do have we can i can talk a bit about a few points let's say got it and uh correct me if i'm wrong you were using uh like multimodal models for that and with dali and um uh at uh fine-tuning that model so we we know dali two was released and i'm curious like if we were to like uh do similar effort uh, from that time till date, are there any new models which you would replace in your architecture or is there anything you would modify in the workflow? Yeah, it, with respect to architects, architects was not multimodal, so it's not, I started with DALI. DALI was mind-blowing in the beginning and especially Eclipse, so that's where architects started. And the problem became very quickly that images are not very useful uh, for design. They are useful, like you know, as design artifacts or like creativity, you know, and very useful for a for art, right? But not very useful if you want to make like structured outputs, like I don't know, layout or you know, some facade panel or you know, and you know, a neighborhood or a master plan. Like it's not very useful if you have an image; it doesn't help. So I went to language models, and there there are there are a few things that I want to try. There are a lot of like new ideas since then. So, for example, I'm using quite small language models. Uh, quite small. I mean, I think the largest I train is a few billion parameters. It's not very big, but you know, the the 20 billion GPT Neo was published like a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. So, I would love to like fine tune that, for example, uh, on Architects or something like Architects. And of the other thing is like, you know, there is there were a few models with retrieval. I think this is very nice for design. I tried it a bit. I did I created some sort of retrieval database and then tried. But I really like how uh I think was it DeepMind who did the retrieval paper? Uh they use it for generation. So like I think that's very useful because it really reminds me of how design happens, like in a way like how you're starting to do something and then you you sort of retrieve ideas right you're saying okay it's it's the same idea of like going to a knowledge database maybe in your mind or maybe in a, in a meeting of people in a in a company 
and you bring in those ideas in the new context. That's how retrieval works. And I'm really, really uh, bullish on retrieval, I think, for the future. And they use it for generations. So like while you're trying to generate something, you can retrieve relevant things and add it to the content. Anyways, like it sort of helps generating new things. So that, that's something that I really want to try. I'm just halfway there because the retrieval paper that came out then it was very, very difficult. Like the architecture is, you can you can tell is like very, a lot of moving parts and very difficult. So I'm still waiting for it to, to mature in a bit. Uh, for DALI too, like, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And it's, it's an evidence of like what scale you can do. Like everything I'm doing so far, like they are not really you know, as they say, yeah, scale build, let's say, they're not very <laughs> scale, like, because I'm, you know, I have a few TPUs and, you know, from Google and maybe like not even GPUs I'm not using. So you can go up to, up to a point, but, you know, scaling all this stuff would be, would be quite, quite interesting. And that's what Dali does, I think. Like, of course it uses, actually smaller, it's not scaling. It's also like architectural innovations and diffusion and everything, but I still don't think it's there when it comes to what I want to do for design. It doesn't mean it's the only thing that what I'm doing for AI in design, right? I'm just a bit more, you know, I want to handle like kind of engineering aspects or like performance-based aspects. And I think for that, like there's different kind of multimodal stuff that we can do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't know if I answered the question. I lost myself at some point. But yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, new state of the arts let's say and there are some the nice thing is there are also some initiatives going on to like open source because you know dali 2 again you know it might be an op an api at some point it's closed source mm -hmm. but it's not that big in reality i think it's like dali 1 was like 13 billion and this one is like three something like that uh, it just has a very large data set and i think like thousands of uh, 100 days of training but there is a couple of groups that are trying to create like open source. So when we have that, if we had an open source DALI 2, I think definitely I would suggest people from design just diving in, like try to see what it can do, you know, and or maybe fine tune uh, your own. Because maybe I, I don't have the a proper purview of its capabilities right now. That's a good I, and like, what what are your suggestions because like uh when you go to open ai like and you can test models like dali or codex in on their website but how to start that thinking about how can i translate this immediate use case which they have shown on the website to ac how to think about it yeah i think it's it's not very easy it's not very easy because like immediate applications of AI or machine learning, they are not very difficult, right? Especially machine learning. You can take a, an Excel sheet, a spreadsheet or something, you know, you can do some, you know, some regression or, you know, random forest or whatever. Like you can do this stuff. Like, but when you go to, to like deep learning models or, or deep learning AI, I guess, it gets a bit more difficult because I think you need to sort of rethink of the problem. It's not just like, you know, let's get a bunch of data and do it. Data is ve are very important, or is very important, but it's not immediately, I think, uh, evident what sort of data you would need. And so there is a lot of exploration there. For me, I don't know if it was an intuition or luck, it was kind of both of like, you know, hey, 
would this work just with language? So the big leap that I did personally was that, you know, representing geometry with language. It's not a, right now, after you do that, that leap is quite simple to do a lot of things, right? I tried as a test in layouts, but you can try in anything. As I said, it can be like a city or it can be like, you know, a column, right? It can be like, I don't know, structure engineering, if you want. It can be like a bridge or pipe pipelines, you know, it doesn't matter. So I think it really needs to, the first step is sort of to rethink the problems that we have because I don't think like the, there are not many immediate solutions that have like that much value for design, not for the AC. For the AC, we have a lot of immediate solutions. Like you can get off the, off the shelf language models and make a, a knowledge database in your company. And that's very useful, right? People can search something and get the, you know, you get an embedding of the search and, you know, you retrieve relevant stuff from your regulations. That's amazing. That's incredibly useful. Immediate. You can do it like in a few lines of code, but it's not really designed yet. So for design, I think the first step is rethinking, like, the problem, what you're trying to solve and how you can imagine it, you know, in a way that you can, when it comes at least to language models, which are at this moment the most capable, let's say, models, how can you express it in a way that they will understand it, right? So I think that's the, the big step. Uh, language is very good for that, for me, uh, at least in the very, in the, in the niche stuff that I've tried. It won't be for everything. Like the next step, obviously, is multimodal. Because like, as long as language is there, image is useful, I think. Uh, image will be, the image will be useful. And perhaps you can use it, you know, it, it's always okay to put like new, new sources of like, uh, new inputs to get like better, better trained models, better understanding, maybe composition, all this stuff. But I think, yeah, with, yeah. So that's, that's how I think you, you would approach it. The other like, Standard thing is like find the problem you care about. Like I've said this a hundred times. I don't need to it. Like, it needs to be something you like. Like if it's not something you like, it's not going to work. Uh, I think. But after you find something you like, then try to rethink it. Like rethink it in terms of like how can I approach this? You know, like maybe not even with respect to AI. Maybe with respect of like you know how can I rationalize this problem? And very importantly, how can I abstract it? I think, at least for the level I'm working on, like. On, more conceptual exploration, design exploration, and that kind of thing. How can I abstract it in a way that I can, you know, express it to these models, scale it, you know, efficiently evaluate it, you know, uh, you know, generate it in, in a diverse manner, all this kind of stuff. To do that, you need, you need more abstract concepts than, than what we have, I think. And it was hard for me initially because, like most people are, in computational design, I, I was, trained within Grasshopper, right? That's what I was doing. And Grasshopper is really, is really, really good in what it does. Uh, really good in what it does in computational design, but it was a hard step to sort of disengage from that and think in, in different terms. Yeah. Got it. I don't know if you answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it helps. And last year, we saw like in CVPR, there was like first workshop and like competition focused on scan to BIM. And uh, this year, I think they are doing again, like uh, what are your thoughts on like scan to BIM uh, AI models, challenges? Uh, what are some models one should keep an eye on? Like, I think it's very interesting. It's obviously like high value activity. That's why I had a workshop, I guess. 
<laughs> I do. I do think is a is one of the things that I mentioned before is is a short term thing in the sense that you could probably make a scan to BIM or whatever three D pipeline that sort of works, you know, by downloading some open source model and you know deploying it. So like it's it's quite immediate. You can do it, and probably you can do it just by high quality cameras as well. But anyways, and uh, so it has value, I guess, because you know everything at some at some point in all the projects you know everything has to become BIM at the, at least where we are now so i think it's it's quite valuable it's just it's something i don't really do mm -hmm. i would say like i am interested in the 3d domain but more like you know like maybe radiance fields and stuff like that not really or let's say if i was to create pipelines to to create like 3D, 3D outputs, it wouldn't be to make be models, but I can see the value. I can see the value. I would say though, like I'm not sure. Like at least I haven't seen, unless there are people doing it, right? Probably proprietary, and they haven't shared. I don't know how good. Even though there are open source models that can do it, you know, and you know, segmentation is really good and accuracy. Like all of this stuff, it tends to be on benchmarks, you know. And I don't know. Is there any benchmark for? big models like do we have more than 50 or while well, we need like 5,000 or 50,000 or millions yeah so like I I would be a bit doubtful to how how good it works on a general then how good it generalizes you know and that's the problem with using like AI for detailed design I think uh, it really needs to generalize very well because you want to do detailed design right you don't want at that point to to confuse a window for a door or something like that, like it's not going to work. Uh, so yeah, I think, but I think it's a very nice direction. I think you need to take advantage of the new technologies, like, you know, very, very good cameras, you know, very good sensors. Uh, ideally those sensors will give you directly a model that you don't need AI, right? Or too much AI, but yeah, I think, I think it's a good direction. It's just why a direction I'm not, I'm not currently pursuing. Because, like I said, I think I think it's both both like low hanging fruit in a way, but also quite difficult. And this is personal opinion. I I am not sure if it's part of what will push the field mm. to the future in a way. It's a solution for the present, right? So, especially since you know, I'm not yet clear on the relationship between AI and people. I'm not yet clear if it will be an organic cooperative relationship or, you know, something else like, or if AI will, you know. So, so, but it's good. It's good to to have this sort of approach. It's just something I'm not, I'm not very into yet. I, guess. I was saying, like, I was trying to compare. Like uh, recently, I was uh, coming up with like a uh, open uh, metaverse project where they're using. Uh, open AI uh, model to do procedural quest generation where they can parse metadata of various scenes and then do quest. So I'm thinking, what if we can extract the building metadata and I, when I'm parsing like a 3D geometry, I can say, get me manufacturer A with this bathroom layout and like, on that scale. I think I think it's definitely possible. Like I remember. Mahmoud, like he had a paper on like beam to vec and stuff like that, like you know, extracting embeddings 
data bendings from B models, and you could use that, right? I think Facebook had a very, very nice paper recently with this sort of data, data vec, data to vec, or something like a huge thing they're doing, a self-supervised thing, like sort of creating huge embeddings of all their data. So you could do that. That would be very useful because it's, again, something more abstract than a BIM model. Uh, but as a metadata itself, like if you want to generate and retrieve, I would just retrieve because you know, you can just, uh, this is, maybe this is my own bias, but at that point, you don't need AI, I feel. In, in, in a way, like, the AI at that point, the metaverse, the way I understand it, you, I would use it to, to create the world, to shape the world. Mm -hmm. To detail it afterwards, you know, you can sort of detail it uh, in a tabular way. You know, I have some metadata, okay, all these walls give this family, you know, like this, this material, this, you know, all this stuff. I'm not certain it needs. You could have some model on top of that later to sort of like, you know, classify and select appropriate, you know, groups of materials, yeah. Uh, but I think the generation part is, would be before that and in a more abstract manner. And I think there was, there was this tweet, I don't know if you saw it, like where they used GPT-3, just they prompted, right? And they prompted it to create 3D worlds and it created 3D worlds, an actual 3D. So like it, it didn't, it didn't come up with, I don't know, I forget if it was GPT-3 or Context. I think it was GPT-3. Uh, and it, it literally, they were creating procedural worlds, so like 3D rendered shapes and stuff, just through something like GPT-3. And I think, I think that's where the AI part would be, in creating that initial world. And then populating with things, you know, we can do it. We can do it, or we, know, we will have like some routines, procedurally to do it. You know. Uh, yeah, so, but it's interesting, the metaverse in, in the sense, if I understand it correctly, in the sense of like, you know, at the generative side, I'm interested in that. Uh, I haven't looked a lot in, in the other stuff, like, I'm not sure I would be, you know, opening a company in the metaverse and people can visit, you know, this kind of stuff. I won't ever do it, I think, but, but I will try to create technologies, to create worlds in virtual worlds, anyway. I think that's quite interesting, yeah. That's very nice. Plus, it's a nice world to experiment inside, environment to experiment. Good. And uh, I would like us, uh, you to explain, like, when you say using GPT-3 to create 3D world, like, uh, from from the understanding, like, GPT is a language, like, you get input text, you generate output text. So if you want to create 3D world, like, do you attach the output of the language to a content generation pipeline, uh, which takes the text as input and generate 3D model? Like, how do you design that? Yeah, so let me let me see if I can find it. I think it's here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, is it this one? No, this is 2020. Uh, I do think they combined it with... I'm trying to find it because this... This tweet was, this was, it was really sort of mind blowing, but I don't know how to. Uh, so how it would happen, of course, it would be coupled with something that, so for example, you know, something like 3GS, right? 3JS or, you know, some sort of like code, right? Of course. So it's not like GPT-3 can, you know, make with words like, you know, it's not like ASCII art or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but it would literally be, you know, create like, I don't know, a 3D world full of buildings, you know, you would describe it. And I think that's what the person did. And 
outcomes an actual 3d environment you can view and move and so so i think that's that's how it happened the intermediate presentation yeah I'm, it goes from language to code probably or some sort of structured uh, language and then it becomes you know something we can we can ingest in, into things uh, so that's how it will be and that's why the lang language is so powerful because you can express you know that's why alpha code is so is like a codex you know so powerful because you know with language you can sort of describe what you want you get a code and that code does something in the real world right uh, so I'm I'm really yeah and I, w I was really shocked and I don't know if I can find it I will see if I can find it later mm -hmm. it's really cool yeah yeah so like just to be clear like in GPT-3 like one would be giving example like uh, generate a cube text prompt and then 3JS uh, scene generation of a cube where with the code so you give a bunch of example and it tries to understand to generate like in a code level then you can extract it with a renderer oh, I think your mic sorry I'm muted because I'm on the <laughs> so you would you would have a prompt which is natural language and maybe or maybe not you would put a bit more context into it maybe you know start writing in JavaScript or maybe give some comments right you know I want this in 3JS and I want this sort of functions and then the language model would do the rest so like I do think it would create like the, the 3JS code it would sort of retrieve stuff whatever it needs to do and and I will literally really try to find it because it was a really nice example of I, I was a bit impressed because it, it is kind of like impressed and a bit like I wasn't like depressed but <laughs> it was sort of like, oh, cool. So you just prompted GPT-3 randomly and you did something like architects, you know, like, but that's the cool mm -hmm. thing. That's the power of language models, right? Maybe I, I sat down and fine-tuned, you know, smaller models to be good at this, right? But the, the really large model, you just ask it nicely and it does it without fine-tuning. Zero shot, right? This wasn't fine-tuned at all. It was just like some prompt. Uh, so that's that's the power, I think, because even when we manage to make this available to more designers, then what they what can they come up with? That's that's the, the interesting question. I think. Got it. And I'm I'm thinking like uh, so. I saw a lot of examples using people using OpenAI Codex to create like 2D games and like it was like using all the GitHub code. So they had like a lot of uh, content uh, that understands the context. If if I were to like design like we have like a search space and a problem space uh, for our architectural solution. How would we architect to do like a design space exploration using GPT-3? Mm -hmm. So that's a good, that one goes back to the, to the roadmap I was, I was saying. So, so in, in a way, the way I've structured like design, it has like certain like areas, like certain sections or like certain so there, there is the, the, the part of like search that you mentioned. So in there, first of all, not everything is AI, right? In there, you have like, you know, generative design and generative models. It can be, you know, Revit, uh, sorry, Dynamo and Grasshopper or something else like Houdini or, you know, custom code, right? It can be procedural. It, it can be also like deep learning generative models. Like, so for example, it could be something like architects, right? So, you have that part in search. So you need like 
to search, you need to generate. This is the first thing, at least in design, right? In many other fields, you don't need to generate to search. Uh, you can just search through the 5 billion images in the Lion dataset, right? But we don't have 5 billion designs. So to search, we need something that can generate. And then you need, because we are doing design, and, and I think generative design by itself is, is a gimmick. It doesn't really do anything. We also need evaluation. So we also need to understand if the design is good. So that at that point, you need like surrogate models because you can't really do evaluation at the generative scale. It's just too expensive. So you need to, whatever metric everyone is, people are interested, you know, some people care about cost, other people care about carbon, maybe like, you know, weight or load, you know, other people about daylight, doesn't matter, but you need something that can quickly calculate that. And by quickly, I don't mean like I move my slider and one second is there. One second is way too much, right? Because we are talking about scales of millions. So a few million seconds, we are already at a year or a few years. And then, yeah, and then to do exploration, if you have those two parts, like something I can just generate or even plan, like you can ask it, okay, I want to do this. Give me 10 alternatives, 50, 100, right? Uh, you can do it hierarchically or not, doesn't matter. And then you have something that can take all these things that come out and instantly, in a way, evaluate it. Then you can do general exploration, design exploration. That's how I imagine design exploration. Like, it's not like, you know, I go through 500 alternatives for my slider. That's not generative design. That's parametric design is okay, but generative design, at least at the age of AI, should be like, you know, pure. And at that point, we can use quality diversity. I think that's the, it's one of the, the perhaps the most approachable areas of AI for design, because ev everyone I've shown it to, I've shown quality diversity from AC, they, they've all sort of understood it immediately because it's, it's very, it makes sense how you structure your design space, how you search, right? How you focus on novelty and not on performance and all of that. I think quality diversity, once we have those two pillars of like generate and evaluate, it would really be a very important tool for the AC, right? because it can really allow to explore, really explore space. And yeah, so I, th I think I think it's definitely possible. And it's very nice. Those three parts are a small part of the roadmap again, but I think they are very, very nice area to work in. Yeah, if people are interested. Got it. The challenge I foresee is like, uh, like having like generative design, like it's possible. The challenging part is like you might be covering some part of the whole design space and you might induce your own biasness or like your assumptions, whatever generative model you have. And there might be a better solution out out of your whole generative space. Uh, so like, I don't know, like exactly. how to evaluate that. Exactly. I mean, I mean, by definition, parametric design is how it works by by adding biases, that's what we do. Like that's literally <laughs> the definition of parametric design because the minute you sort of start creating your ranges in your sliders, that's your, your bias, you're biasing your design, right? The minute you put like, you know, maybe like your classes of like, oh, this is good, above this is very bad, below, you know, the minute you say like, oh, uh, forget how much was it? 60%, you know, GFA has to be above like, this lacks, you know, like to get a lead certification. You already biased your design, right? So, so the parametric design that we do is, is you're completely right. It's biased, 
And this is without mentioning our cognitive biases, our, you know, experience, intuition, sort of bias, you know, all the all this stuff that we bring with us in design. Quality diversity is nice because it, it sort of like systematically helps you escape all that, right? It starts from the very simple idea of like, you know, uh, goals and metrics are, are the enemy. This sounds very weird, but that's, that's the whole idea of like, you know, the more you chase something, the, the, the worst you're going to be doing. Uh, he has a whole book about it. I will share it later. But there is also like, I think, very nice expression of that in Goodhart's Law, like, I think some economists from the 70s, they call it like Goodhart's Law, where, you know, like every metric that is used, you know, every metric that gets optimization pressure, like stops being a good, a good metric, right? It stops. So, and this in design is very easy to visualize. Imagine that you want to make a design and you're optimizing energy. You really optimize energy, right? If you do it naively, what's going to happen? Okay, I don't need any windows, you know, like perfect, you know, no losses, nothing. I'll just put, you know, like in this sense, of course, this is naive, extreme, but it happens very in, in, in nuanced ways in parametric design because of the way we, we bias and we focus on metrics. Quality diversity says no metrics. Just tell me how you want to explore, right? Which are the directions you want to explore? And you incentivize to explore everything in those ranges. Of course, there are still ranges, perhaps, you know, that you can go infinite, right? But at least you, you're not telling it, you know. And then you have a quality, that's the diversity part. And then you have a quality that is sort of your metric, but without the pressure to achieve anything. It's just cataloging the quality, right? I just keep a score. And every time I find a better one, I replace the old one, in a way at the top. That's all. It's a very simple idea. Brilliant. And I think it, you know, it would let us explore like really beautiful design spaces. And it's, I think it's, it will be one of the, one of the first things I truly deploy with. I'm hoping to deploy it with something like architects and something like infrared, because those are the two pillars. And that's how I started my work in all of this. I started filling in these gaps. So infrared was the first gap of surrogate models. So that approach, like, can I evaluate in real time? Architects was the generative gap. Quality diversity will be the exploration. And we have the search workflow done. There is more downstream, but, you know. So, yeah, that's how I imagine search in the in AI and design. If that Got it. I will share some, some links somewhere. I don't know, LinkedIn or here? Some keywords or something. You can also, like, share screen for... Briefly, if you want, yeah. Yeah, okay. I will do later. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like comparing various generative models one could uh, integrate. So uh, there are auto-regressive model where you can just give one prompt, it can complete the whole story. So one that is one area. There is also like reinforcement learning uh, where I can define my explore, exploit, uh, parameters which can also affect the design space a lot and we have like this GAN based uh, exploration so like w what are your suggestions like what type of generative uh, algorithms work better for our case for design right like I really think I'll go back to qual diversity I think this population evolutionary approaches they work best uh you know they're sort of like gradient free approaches let's say evolutionary right so 
you just search because a lot of our problems are discrete or at least we need to discretize them to to be able to create stuff like we are. like i guess you could do like continuous optimization maybe like meshes you know like optimize a mesh or a hull that's interesting mm -hmm. but again it's not the, the kind of problems i care about so i care about more discrete stuff like buildings or spaces right? so i think like yeah the quality diversity approach i would do like rl rl is good but the way we use it, I've said it a few times, like the way I've seen it used in AC is like just as an optimization approach, <laughs> just as a very good optimizer in a way and not really searching. But there are some really cool, there is some really cool work lately in like planning and all this stuff. Like, again, language plus RL, uh, all like reinforcement learning guided by semantics. So I think that will be very interesting for for this for design because you can imagine maybe like i don't know what type of agents exactly they could even be like you know agents that inhabit spaces in order for us to evaluate the spaces right but it could also be other stuff even for construction whatever and you can sort of teach them and guide them through language so and in a way we can do that because our environments are like you said before we have all the metadata you can explain the environment in structured language very nicely, you know? This is a wall, you know the texture, you know the material, you know the height, you know the distance, you know? Uh, so so that's what people have been trying, in a way, to, to do this sort of language guided I really, I really like it. Uh, but yeah, I think I think just just this evolutionary, but it's a, it's a more like next-gen evolutionary. It's, re it's really simple, it's not like... But I do think it's, it's really better than... So not just... You know, a GA, I run a GA in Grasshopper, right? And the <laughs> GAs are very good. Like the Q, QD, the quality diversity, it's even simpler than a GA. It's super simple. Like there is no actually, actually algorithm to optimize. It's just the previous part, the generation, that is the, the, the very important part. But yeah, I would, I would use quality diversity to explore. I wouldn't use GANs in a way. Like, first of all, GANs are, I mean, we can say they are dead. Like they, they are, they, they, they are, they are not better at anything anymore, I guess. The only thing they do better is uh, domain adaptation, like image to image stuff, something like that, right? But anything else, Diffuser has won, so maybe you, yeah. people do Diffusion. Diffusion sounds nice for exploration, for like, because everything is based on noise, so maybe you can perturb things and create different geometries, for example, or different designs. But I don't think it's going to be diverse enough. Like, this sort of models for what we need. While if you have a model like that and then quality diversity driving that model, so like where to generate and how to generate, then you really will have very powerful exploration. So that's that's how we do it. And yeah, the Arela would keep it for the next step, which is like, what do you do with the design space? Because, and I think this is very important. I think that most of the, most of the questions that I ask with AI is that, what, what is next? Like, I try to ask it every time. Because, because things are moving so fast, like, you can't really get stuck on one thing. So what do you do with the design space? If you, if, if you could press a button and you get one million alternatives, nice, structured, what do you do with it, right? So this, this is a nice question. Like, do you just take that and go to a client or to your colleagues or to do you show it? Yeah, that's cool. It's nice. People will like it. It might help. But, you know, could we use it to do something? Could we create data sets? Could we train, like, design assistants? 
on top of that data to help us make decisions later, you know. So I think the RL would be there. I, I like the RL at that point in sort of like designer modeling, I call it. In sort of like creating agents that model our design preferences. And then they can really help us find the design. So that's... Yeah. I could foresee like, uh, like some AI to be like design space uh, explorer, then like curate some design, then it's like human level of design curation and like one filtered check whether some of the solution makes sense or not and like present it. I, when you were yeah. saying about RL with semantic, I was just thinking like RL can like one could uh, make a model where it could have like various 3D spaces, like move rooms, create bathrooms and stuff. And if we can have like a render or like take a snapshot of like image rendering of a scene from a particular angle with various modulation and then have like a uh, image to text description, how this space looks like. So the, the thing I'm trying to do, can we have like RL plus semantic to have like subjective evaluation of a space and maybe that is also driving RL to explore and exploit. Yeah, I mean, subjective, it depends because you need the subject for it. Like, so you, you still need to be, you know, who is the subject of that space in a way, uh, which, which ironically, it's not, it's almost never the center of design, which is the occupant. So like, but what you can do, I guess, with RL and language, I do have a paper that I like. I was reading it the other day. So I will share it very fast. Let's see if I can share the screen, just the screen. So like, it's this, it's this one here, it's called Improving Interesting Exploration with Language Abstractions. Okay, it doesn't matter like if it sounds complex. It's, it's really simple and powerful idea on the, on the surface. It's something like this. So this, you can imagine this being like a, an office, right? Or a house, doesn't matter. And what they do is they utilize language to describe goals, right? And things the agent can do in the environment. So, and the cool thing is that they have a model that sort of creates goals and chooses what goals to do and trains the agent. And slowly, step by step, the agent learns to do more complex stuff, right? And beat these games or these environments. So if you think of this in, and I, I, will, I will probably stop showing it now. If you think about it in, in design, like, and as you said, you might, you might think of like, maybe you have it create again, either like some goals, like what do your occupants want to do in this space, right? Maybe they want to work and, go to the bathroom, I don't know, uh, meet other people, like, you know, uh, have a quiet area, you know, all these kind of goals. And instead of like hard coding everything before, you could have something like this, that sort of discovers goals and trains the model on top. So I really like this approach because they are using the richness of language to sort of like train something in, in, this, in this manner, right? In self-supervised manner. And you could imagine this while you're doing design, because instead of saying go to the green door, maybe you say, you know, a house with this many rooms or this this type of rooms, a house with this, you know, these connections, you know, with these adjustments. It doesn't matter. Or an office with for this many people, right? With these quiet areas, these open areas, you know, like it can be, you just communicate it to the agent. And then let me stop sharing because this is... A, so like, and it, it turns out from that research, which is simple, but very powerful, I think, that it's just better than not having language. So I, I really think that this can work in, in design. Because
because you see all the environments they're using. They're sort of like kind of design. I know they look like mini grid, and they are. But, you know, it's a top-down layout, right? It's very, we can do a lot of stuff with that. That's the cool thing. We don't even need 3D. You can do a lot of stuff. You can represent the real building as a top-down 2D layout where people move. And, so, yeah, I definitely think is uh, you can you can use it to both learn and explore, like find new things you can do in the environment. You can use other and language. And there is, there is, yeah, there's quite a few papers that are trying to do that. I keep saying papers, and I wonder how people in, in our field understand this. Like, a lot of time I have to make this footnote that, please, it, this doesn't mean it's some crazy person in the clouds talking. In the AI domain, papers are actually... Pro <laughs> They're actually products, you know, like it's very hard to, to communicate this. Like, oh, a new paper came out and people like paper, so what, you know? And no, it's just that model. You can download the code. There is a there is a checkpoint, you know, everything is ready. So it's li literally, yeah, it's hard to explain. But just I want to make this footnote that when I say papers, I mean like state of the art things you can use right now, most of the time, right? Not everything is open source, yeah. I'm wondering what if we also like that's a good practice in AI world maybe for for a AEC if we are presenting any computational paper or AI paper it might be a good pra practice to share the model and data along with the paper so other people can develop on top of it yeah yeah I mean the the architects that's the idea when the paper is out I didn't I didn't want to to do it before because if you do it without the paper is without the write-up it's you know like there's a lot of problems like people probably are not sure how to use it you know they don't know the limitations even even right now when they're using it on the side they're like you know i want a villa with you know with a pool and the output of course has nothing to do with that and like why <laughs> because there is no write-up to explain you know what is yeah. the data set what are the limitations so so yeah, but definitely, definitely we should open source things. And but even though in this case, the data set is not very important. Initially it was just a grasshopper script, right? Creating data, the, the methodology is more important, but yeah, it will be open source. And I, I hope we do it. Like this, the other thing I was thinking the other day, like how to convince, I think I will try. And I think I, think, I think I have a good chance to convince people to sort of open source, like, you know, I think, for example, there is a huge opportunity for a company right now to become, you know, the first company that has a, a whole profile in Hagi Face. You know, you click, you search their name, there is 15 models underneath with, with uh, model cards, with data sets, you know, papers, people can download. Like, it's a huge asset, right? It's a huge asset because it not only, like, creates awareness about what you do, like, you become famous in other domains and all this stuff. You can attract talent, which is really difficult nowadays, I think, right? You can you can have other people use your work, which is, again, it's like people are helping you develop. And it's never like, you will never be like, oh, I gave them the secret sauce. That's, that's the other thing about AI, like every three days that sauce is obsolete. You know, every three, every couple of months it's just obsolete, right? Like, so, so yeah, I think there is a, a potential there for people to understand like who's going to be the first one mm. that will just open source everything. And I think whoever does it, they will see the value. They will see very quickly the value of the value you get back. But yeah, I, personally, I, I will share the data set, like a version, 
it's a very augmented weird version of the data set and the models uh, and people can play around it's not uh, it's nothing difficult yeah. Uh, yeah by the way the paper you showed is quite interesting like i'll definitely check it out later uh my next question is uh for in pytorch 3d world have you seen any like interesting development in that area which we should keep an eye on yeah i mean i have a whole folder with 3d like i can open it <laughs> we can see like i do have a whole again people will see folder with papers yeah this is just <laughs> the, the state of the art stuff at least when i came so let's let's see the folder like still i i'm not really like i don't know like, let's go to the folder like modality and this is the 3d space right there's a bunch of stuff here like i don't see like apart from like nerf and i'm sorry i keep showing the apart from from this nerf let's see like oh my god yeah, yeah. Uh, i can't like the rest are like you know like yeah okay here you know the sdfs you can do some mess mess stuff there's some really cool stuff like facebook facebook actually published a real-time SDF renderer today, which was really cool, I thought. I have it here, I can bring it, it's this one here. So this stuff are really cool. So this is, remember you were saying like, all the scan to beam, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a scan to beam. So this is like a, a differentiable renderer. So you just move it around the space and pop, it gives you, it gives you a 3D model, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, this, is, this is even after scan to beam. You have this model that can, directly do it right with no software between with no data exchange messy with no like processing pre-processing just directly end-to-end -end create a 3d model so these are this stuff are really cool i think uh, it's not what i currently do but i think they're really cool they have potential so you can you can see here like you know they just go in front you see how they just with the camera with the rgb and the depth they create it's really amazing right they create a 3d model here like a, a, a literally literally pretty much so this stuff are really cool i think let me hear no i miss it like the nerf stuff obviously is very very cool but there's just not something here i think that i really really like personally right this is my maybe the special these representations are nice like how to understand space representations those were good and there is some stuff here like this this scene representation can, i like this can stuff. you zoom a bit oh, like yeah. it's difficult to read yeah, it's very hard oh, I will yeah. open some, like like this sort of stuff are interesting but still this is my problem right this picture here is my problem like you have an image and you do some segmentation and and i don't care it's just an image it's useless like it's it's just an image of pixels right mm. so i i want structure inputs personally i don't care right that doesn't mean everyone uh but it's just not my thing. So on the 3D domain, I would say like, you know, point clouds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And creating, as you said, scans to 3D models, that's very powerful. And we can do it without AI because we have very good hardware as well, right? And maybe you can, you have some AI models like this, Facebook one, that you can, you know, in a self-supervised manner. This means like, I don't need to train it every time. I don't need, it's just, you know, it just looks on millions of like, uh, synthetic environments it learns how to re reconstruct them and then i take my camera and i do this and it gives me a 3d scan directly right but maybe you can do that with a with a with a nice more expensive matterport or whatever or a leica right uh, so so that that area is nice and of course again the metaverse but at least i don't know if i'm wrong in this like because 
when I speak like people from the AI domain, when I show them my my work, it's usually, oh yeah, what about 3D? And isn't it like, I don't know what architects think, because I'm not an architect, but isn't like 2D already 3D? Like, I don't separate the two, right? Mm -hmm. When people see the layout, okay, it's a layout, but you know, like this, I can extrude it, right? And very simply, I can cut holes and make windows and doors. Like, it's already 3D. The difficult part is creating the, the morphology, right? The connection, the connectivity. Mm -hmm. All the rest to make 3D is just simple, I think. Like, I can extrude, I can cut, I can put materials. Like, all this is super simple. And with things like Unreal, right? It's real time. So that's why I'm not very into that, personally. Because I think the hard part to, to solve is this language to design. Right to some to some space. If we can manage to make it end the end, end to end, and it creates a three D rendered world with a, just a, a sentence, amazing. If it creates like a two D world, I, I sort of post process. Okay, I can do that, no problem. But this semantic generation is the key, I think, and not really how the end result, the post processing, is much easier. That's why I'm not so much into the three D domain. Uh, not for any other reason, you know. I could be wrong. Like, as I said, this changes every month. So next month, maybe someone make, comes up with an end-to-end -end model like DALI, 3D worlds. And I'm, okay, bye. Like, I'm, I'm all in. But up to now, I'm, I'm just not, not into that yet. Yeah, and it's also, uh, like, important to consider that, like, this 3D world has, like, a lot more parameters than 2D. So you might have, like, 3D generation pipeline with, less uh, intelligent model or you can have highly intelligent model on a 2d level and you can post process mm. to to have like better results and i really think anyways that this design is a very complex activity right it's like np complex or whatever i don't know if it is actually but so it, i don't think maybe someday will be end to end but even if we can i don't think that's how you get the most value i really like this hierarchical approach of like in a you know like modular sort of like separated but also connected so like some components do this some other components build on top of that and do this right do another task and in this way i think we will much quicker create an end-to-end -end pipeline which is an end-to-end -end pipeline of many moving parts not many ideally not many but and as we move forwards yeah some of these parts will merge and we will get more but I really like this hierarchical approach to design because that's how we design, like at least now. If we manage to end to end everything, then yes, a lot will change. Maybe architectural offices won't be there and people will just type a sentence and you know, a 3D model with drawings and everything and you know, submissions comes up. I don't know. But we are very far away from any of that. And I don't even think that's that's even the nice direction that, to go if we want to change how we design, right? Because that direction is kind of like, oh, how can I replace everything? Like, I don't like this this sort of approach of AI. How can I replace? It reminds me the the automation. Like automation is very nice, very powerful for now, but for the steps in the future, you can you also have to think of like, how do I change completely? Not just automate this task, but how can I design without this task, with some other task, right? with some other way? Yeah, with another. So that's that's yeah. what I am. Yeah. Let's take some questions from the audience. So like, sure. one thing I wanted to mention, like, uh, so in in the conference last year, I saw like embodied AI category where like 
they have like seen understanding for robots where even like uh, you can say identify that box object and move from here to here in 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 the space and i think that's another interesting uh, area like if people are reading about it to look on which might be yeah. useful in ac context i'm on record i think in a couple of places where i said there really is a gimmick and it doesn't work and everything and i've changed <laughs> like i said it moves very fast right mm-hmm. i've changed my my timeline so that i think rl has made incredible leaps in the last 4 to 6 months because of i think because of this language embedded uh, but now it's it's much closer to being like like you say like you can do things with it, right you can maybe not in construction i don't know like it's it's too <laughs> too messy like we do it now again even again we go back to changing things like oh yeah robotics for construction and people think like we're going to have the same construction site and just some robots building it cannot we will have to think of like um we need to th- build different things right we need to build them in a different way in different places anyways i will rant about this but yeah i think <laughs> robot rl is becoming i think way closer to to ideas being practical and yeah definitely people should should research it i i cannot it's uh, i even if i try i don't think i manage but you know there are so many other people smarter than me so I'll go for it please yeah so uh, we have a question from sanjay uh, can you give any names of gan algorithms you most so i think it looks like very open ended question <laughs> yeah uh, so gan i mean i don't use gan anymore at all i think the last gan i and was style gun just to make funny buildings out of some images but yeah i use like language models i can name a lot of models but the easiest thing you can do is to go to hagin face and i don't know how to type in the chat is it the private chat no right it's on the side i don't see anything on the side i see the chat but i don't i can't reply anyways it's okay uh So hugging face yeah exactly thanks for writing it if you go there they have about you know, I don't know how many thousand by now or hundreds uh, language models open source you know i've used to give you some names like all the gpt language models there some others like bert or bart or roberta i don't know they're all like names of characters but yeah that's what i use most right now language models and for guns you know the best one now i don't know i i guess the vq gun you know was the best one mm-hmm. and the biggest impact right because it's still being used in a bit in a art generation so that would be something it's also open source but yeah if you if you really want to look into generative models i would i would look to diffusion models uh, so glide is not there is a small glide people have trained there is a lion model diffusion uh, there are a lot of notebooks open source you can get with us you can make amazing stuff uh, i really like glide the paper itself it I, when i saw it i was it was the closest thing like to generative model in the image space that could be useful for design for me because they they have this thing in the in the paper i can show it actually very quickly mm-hmm. uh, but it's okay i open the eye uh glide of me yeah it's this one so so what i like the lot i'm just opening that i have it downloaded but I, i just reopened it i like that they have again this progressive sort of editing this 
again, as I said, like, you know, stepwise manner, like do, and to do that, you need to allow the model or your tool. This is no, no longer a model in my, in my eyes, is a product. So this, this model by itself is a, is a sort of software, right? So you need to allow it to have like much more refined control over the, the input. And Glide did that. And I really like it. And, and Dali has the same capability because it's actually Glide more or less scale. Uh, and I think like this amazing compositionality that people find in Dali where they say, you know, make this with this really comes from Glide and it takes forever to load. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, they have this, this area and it's very architectural. That's why I want to show it. And so I will wait just half a minute <laughs> where they, where they edit a house, they edit a living room in a, oh. and so uh, if you really want for architecture imagination, I would go to the fusion models. Perhaps get the, the open source glide that exists. I don't, I don't have a link handy, but there is one. And and then train it on some of your data or fine tune it on, you know, interiors, for example, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, okay, it's on. So let me, let me, am I sharing? I'm not sharing. Yeah, okay, so people didn't see me load the paper. So this is the paper and very quick, again, paper, right? It's, it's actually a, a software, a product in a way. Literally, this became a product one month later, uh, the DALI 2. So these are the generations, but the, the cool thing is not this. Like you can do some nice stuff. Okay, this is part of what you can do. So you can see here, right? I want to put zebras here. So you put zebras. I want to put a corgi or whatever, right? I want to change my hair, right? And all this stuff, but the cool thing is here. Yeah, here we are, very architectural. So you give it a prompt of a cozy living room. Oh, this is very nice, but can I have here a painting of a corgi? Yeah, sure. But here, you know, it's empty, you know? Could I have a round coffee table? Sure. And then here on the table, can we put a vase of flowers, right? So this is, the, this is a few things in one image, right? First of all, it shows that this, what I was saying before, these papers are not real papers, they're actually like descriptions of an actual product, right? Practical thing. Two, this model is not just a model, it's a literal software. Like to do this thing, right? Either you put it online and you pay someone to change the 3D image for you, or you do it procedurally. In a way you have some sort of software, you do it. You can imagine doing this on a 3D, 3D space as well. It shouldn't be that difficult, I think, uh, eventually. So like, it's really a design product, right? And the third, of course, is what I was saying, like this sort of, this is not hierarchical, but it's like sequential, like sort of sequence of steps that I want to do. And this is another area where I, I like language, like image models can do this, which is really cool. Language models can learn from all these sequence though. So if you can imagine that you have, just imagine that you have this model and it worked on a 3D, on the 3D domain, and you had like hundreds of designers using it just with language, creating interior layouts, you know, for your clients, for your, for everything you want, right? For metaverse, doesn't matter. And then you were storing these interactions. You were storing all this essentially prompting, you know, this language prompting, this, this prompts here of language, you store them. And you also store the outputs. What is the difference from here to here, right? Then you could fit all these interactions to a language model to something like a language model, which will have also image model, and you could learn to do a whole interaction, you know? So this is what, why I think language brings so much, because 
this model can go from one to the other using language, of course, right, very easily. But you could also learn from this whole sequence. Anyways, I'm rambling a bit, but but yeah, it's 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 quite it's quite amazing. This paper was really nice and it's quite amazing. And this was my favorite image. Like when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is actually really practical, right? Mm -hmm. Something I think my I told people from the AI communities that yeah, people from my domain they can really relate to this. I think they should. Not. Here the wall becomes a window, right? And even the reflections, you know, it's, it's just insane. Yeah. yeah, like, I think like first time when you tweeted uh, that language models are gonna be like, uh, have a big role in architecture. Like I was not, like, I think it was a year or two years ago you did. But now like with all the applications and like use cases you're showing, I could literally see like uh, a big potential. And one one thing I am foreseeing is so currently, if I'm not wrong, like uh, diffusion model have higher inference time compared to GAN, but it would be great if if let's say uh, architects are in a client meeting and we can do this uh, like modifications re real time where we're making changes yeah. instead of going back office, changing the 3D model, coming back with a new render. Definitely, yeah. Being Inference being fast is very important. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is uh, get get some GPUs. Like we need to invest eventually in GPUs. Like literally, with how the economy is, anyways, right now. Like it might be better to like you know buy GPUs than just have it in the bank or something like that. The money or you know <laughs> like just buy it because they just go up. It's like wine, right? So, but eventually we need to invest. Like I'm just thinking out loud here, but. You know, I can think of hundreds of companies in the AC that would really gain by just buying a DGX, just buying a whole DGX. How much is it? Two hundred thousand dollars. It's like peanuts, right? For some people who, some companies that, you know, it's not peanuts. It's a lot of money, but <laughs> for companies with very large budgets and very large, yeah. you know, uh, you know, cycles and all this stuff, it's not really a lot, and you can make so much out of it, right? So then, one solution is that just buy invest in gpus and you can you can then in real time do everything you want the other thing is that there are a lot of people that are working on diffusion specifically you know like Catherine crossing i think is the best right now probably in the world you know beating a lot of labs and you know she has she has a method i think that works really fast i think even like five to twenty steps and it samples like really good so so it's quite fast it's not yet real time no so that obviously is an issue, like in the sense like it's not going to be pop, pop, pop. But in any way, it's like, I don't know if eventually will be, but even if it's not, it's still valuable, I think. So yep. maybe at, at the moment, it's just the important aspect might be the human-computer interaction. Like how do we design the interaction with this software? I quote the software, but they're actually, I, I really think they're software. But, so maybe we, until we get this real time, we can design our interactions in a way that are not hindered by this sort of, you know, three-second interval or whatever. And if we if we survive, you know, the the two-minute interval of you know virtual programming and grasshopper dynamo every time you move a slider, you wait mm -hmm. five minutes, then we can survive like a few seconds. <laughs> um, but yeah, those those are my couple of thoughts. Uh, things move very fast, so we went from like 500 or a thousand sampling steps to like 10, right, in a matter of a few months with probably similar quality. And two, yeah, we need to invest in some infrastructure. 
to train and deploy models yeah i was thinking like people invest in real estate for inflationary purpose <laughs> there might be a time where people will just in G invest in gpu for inflationary yeah. asset <laughs> yeah i mean maybe people are doing it already i don't know i'm not very good at that but <laughs> i would imagine is is a very good investment is that is so good that you probably cannot buy one you know you have to wait for two years to get it delivered so that means it's that good right i don't know mm -hmm. if it's two years but you have to wait to get a gpu like us normal people like we can't really buy a gpu it doesn't exist right unless you want to pay three times the price so yeah i see george is asking hi george also it's been a while nice to hear from you uh yeah we i think the next step for cl and infrared will be thermal comfort it's been on the works for some time but yeah i think i think it will happen eventually it will happen and uh, thermal comfort is, is something i think a, a study that i like because it happens very rarely when i was doing it like four or five years ago i think i was the only person doing it. I don't know, like at least like at the level of that of course there are thermal comfort like experts you know but at the level of like you know i have a small site plan or whatever a master plan i didn't know anyone else who was doing it and i think it's really impactful because it it shows you exactly again not the occupant of the building but you know pedestrians and really like relates to, to people on the ground so yeah that would be the next one and i think one of our goals is to sort of create an aggregate metric because some people, you know, get lost in the metrics sometimes. Like it's not very easy to follow or understand. Actually, it makes sense. Like if I if I tell you, oh, 50 hours of of danger here, like, okay, so what, what does this mean, right? So we want to make an aggregate uh, resilience metric, kind of like you know how many places in around the world have. So, I, yeah, yeah, it, it, it will be. UTCI, I mean, that's that's the state of the art. So, yeah, UTCI based. The method, we're, we're not sure yet. I mean, it will be eventually a deep learning model predicting it, but yeah, there are some steps before that. Yeah. I wanted to uh, know your thoughts on, like, uh, about the Tesla AI day. I think that was pretty interesting. They have some cutting edge reveals. And one of the things they talked about was for uh, automated like vehicle navigation moving from raster image space to vector image space. And uh, just curious, like uh, what are your takeaways or thoughts on like uh, having uh, this kind of navigation in in that space? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not nearly an expert or not so green in in SVD, let's say, in, I, but I do know that Tesla has sort of like bet on, you know, no, no 3D sensors, right? No, no lidars, just camera and self supervision, right? So I think their models are just trained on, you know, billions and billions of images, right? Self supervised models, and then those models are then fine tuned and used for planning and execution and driving. So it seems that most people maybe because they like Elon or maybe because they know better, believe that's the best approach uh, and that cameras are becoming so good, you know, that, and the models are so good, you know, the depth models and visual models that we don't really need LiDAR, but I don't know who's going to win out. Uh, I imagine, I, yeah, like, as for the vector, like, I'm not sure what that means. It's like maybe 
Yeah, I don't remember that exactly, but I do know that they they are they have bet against LiDAR because mostly I think it's a business decision. I don't know, like this is my naive idea because LiDAR is just too expensive, right? And the cost of the car, like, and they are selling cars, all right, already. They are not like trying to sell in the decade. So I think I guess that's what they are doing. What I liked about their presentation was obviously like the dojo. Dojo was pretty crazy. <laughs> Uh, of course, they are not using it for to train AI models, just to train Tesla stuff. So, a lot of people were happy about that because you know it's a lot of compute that is not used towards AI. Because one of the issues we didn't discuss, like, is alignment, and it's quite important. And I feel it's still very fringe in AI itself, but I can imagine how fringe it might be in the AC. And we should discuss it because these models are becoming so powerful that they do and will have issues issues beyond bias and ethical stuff right? which has already, which are already very important right they already have like very bad biases they regurgitate regurgitate stuff you know they if we don't do proper work on data collection or even like the reason why we build them they will sort of recreate our biases but they also have problems that they become more and more powerful larger capability and that's kind of scary right so if you can imagine a future, not AGI, but let's say a capable AI model, capable I mean that take actions in the real world and imagine it in a design space, right? So maybe it's running a building, right? You've seen it in a sci-fi or whatever action movie, probably, you know, it's this computer that runs all the systems of the building, right? Mm -hmm. And usually, you know, it goes bad and, you know, it kills everyone, but that, that sounds naive, but with these models, it's not like, you know, some demon will be created and kill everyone. It's just that these models, they might not be aligned to what we want to do. And they can be misaligned in very peculiar ways. Like maybe they will be misaligned because they are trying to do what we told them, right? Oh, save energy. Okay, I will close shut down all the ER, you know, monitors. Because they, you know, like very naive again. But, uh, but I think we, the alignment is quite important. And to discuss and the reason I like it is because two reasons. So this is very out, out, out there, but hopefully maybe someone catches it and follows through. We don't know how to do alignment, not we, like the very, very, very smart people, like orders of magnitude smarter than me, who are trying to do it and push it. They don't really know. There's no theory yet of how to do it, right? People are just exploring, experimenting. So that's one. Two, there seem to be quite a lot of funds in alignment, in the sense that if you are very serious about alignment and you sat down and read and had an idea, describe it well, you probably get some funding from the many sources out, right? Probably, I'm not saying for sure, but it's much more than, you know, if you want to do like some sort of climate change uh, hackathon. The, th the third is that I believe that the, applied, the applications of AI might be a good test bed for alignment. So again, Maybe we have a simulation, right? Where we put these models in and we're trying to understand how they would act in the world, right? By acting in the world, it could be how do they design, right? And alignment with respect to design could be, you know, is this safe? Is this buildable, right? Is this efficient, right? Is this dangerous? This kind of stuff, right? So they would be very nice test beds for alignment, I think. Interesting test beds. Because right now, most of alignment is like, Let's take language models because they are the most capable models and look inside. It's very important because you have to understand how they work internally. But I think equally important might be, you know, if I take it in the world, how does it act? And then you can also 
look, sort of understand the insides from the outside interaction. And maybe, this is my, my suggestion to people here, architects or designers in general could be very good alignment researchers because of that. Because they have a very cool application, the real world or the simulated world, a building, a city, doesn't matter, like a, you know, a robot. And then you can sort of create a test bed for these sort of explorations. And in this way, maybe get some funding and do some research. So I, I really recommend people to just Google this stuff, check for, you know, less wrong and alignment forum and, you know, like all these competitions, and, you know, like, and see if you're interested. I do think that we do have something to offer, not at the theoretical level, maybe, because that's very out there. But at the how can I test some things is very important right now. And that's my suggestion. I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks of like, you know, maybe, why not? Why maybe we have like this to offer to this very big problem, right? And at the same time, you also do progress because you're trying to create capable models for something in the AC. Yeah. So Interesting. I, I diverted there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's like, I, I haven't delved deeper into alignment, but like your point makes a lot of sense and maybe we should have more open discussions around it because like awareness is one of the important aspect. Uh, I have one one last question on. Uh, we had a brief chat in Hyper Discord about how can we have open AI codex to uh, like for design space and uh, like w briefly like we discussed like we can use XML to have like a like from Grasshopper script mm -hmm. which can understand the sequence. And we were thinking like, what's the right data format, data structure for the model? Like, what are your thoughts? And like, can you give us like uh, yeah. the context? Yeah, I think I, the first time I came up with that, I, I forget what it was, like maybe like three years ago. It was before Architects for sure, but it was close to there, very close. Because I was already thinking of like language modeling and stuff. And yeah, I mean, the idea is quite simple. Like, I, maybe people have done it already. Like, if someone has done it, tell us. It's like all the Grasshopper scripts is just XML files in a way. Right? You can literally right click it and view the XML. Probably, I forget. I haven't. Mm -hmm. This is my admission for the last few months, maybe a year. Grasshopper. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, I focus on that stuff. But, but they're already XML. So, like, yeah, I. Ideally, they have a lot of structure test. You would need some uh, structure text in there, right? There, are, everything is there, like the component names, the inputs and outputs, the the graphs of where they are connected. So all, all the structure is there. So the my idea was maybe we take thousands of these, right, and we use metadata, whatever metadata we have in there. That's another problem, of course. Like these interfaces, they were never meant designed with, oh, language models in mind, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so the metadata is not in a format, oh, nice, I can use. I have all this text in there I can use, but we can still use like component names, component descriptions. You can maybe get like descriptions from the code, right? You can use the file names, maybe notes, all this stuff. And possibly like, because it's very large context, cut them in groups, because anyways, that's how it works in Grasshopper. You have group, 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 right? And my idea was that, you can do a few things with that. First, the simplest thing is you can do some embeddings, like just train some models on top of it. And then this group sort of 
embed them in a vector, you know, something like that. And then you can retrieve. So, you know, you could, for example, autocomplete components in Grasshopper with this, right? By autocomplete, I don't mean like when you press the name and the search comes, but like when you put a component there, you know how Codex shows you the continuation, right? Yeah. You could see like, maybe you can do it in Grasshopper. That's the, that's the nice thing. You could do like a faded continuation of the component, yeah. right? And then you can tab and boop all there. And it would work because, you know, more or less, the structure doesn't really change for some stuff. I've done and redone like infinite times, like specific components, I feel like. Of course, there are simpler ways than this. Maybe you do MetaHopper, like Andrew's thing, right? Where you say, but it's not that general. MetaHopper, you need to save and save and save and save. Okay, okay. But this might be something general where you, you get like continuations and maybe you can choose a different continuation. You know, maybe some novel thing comes, right? So that was the idea. It's still out there. Like it's it shouldn't be that that difficult. It's the same thing. You get the data set. You post process it a bit. You do need like some sort of pipeline of like something the model sees. You can start by row. Just take the XML, pass it to the language model, and hope. It will work, but it will be messy. Then you need to like clean it a bit. Then the model creates something like that. Then you need to translate it to something like Grasshopper will understand and somehow deploy it within Grasshopper. So, you know, there is some work there. But the idea is pretty straightforward. It's just that I never got around to do it. I think it's pretty possible, though. It would be like Codex. Like for those that use Codex and you're in VS Code and you type something and after a while, too, a great continuation, you know? Imagine the same in Grasshopper. Like you just put a component and there is a great continuation. And how long that continuation is, relates to the context of your model. I would just do like a couple of steps. I would, you know, you don't really need to have very large context, you know. And so that's 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 the idea. You can also do retrieval and all the other stuff we discussed, yeah. But that's the idea. And I think it's it's a very cool idea. It's a nice project, like for someone to do it. Yeah. yeah. And like I'm just thinking like uh is like my comment uh, like I want to let's say make a stair. Is the text prompt in Grasshopper is like a autoregressive command or my like pulling down a pointer component and then like how do I get the next steps for for inference? Yeah, I mean if, to get it by prompt alone you would need a data set. So there you would need some work because you would need to like have someone you could always take the file name, but file names can be very like ugly also but what you would need there and eventually we will need that like we we will either need put like people like us becoming you know mechanical turks in a way like like turks i'm sorry is the t-u-r-k right it's not the uh, is the the amazon stuff i don't really like that uh, that word uh, that expression and you know either we become you know just like literally sit down and do the work right mm -hmm. of like okay this grasshopper file i did it three years ago what did i want to do here you know you need to do that or maybe you start and you you take a group of five components and you sit down okay what is this for you know this heavy work it would be a lot of headache probably a lot of man hours but they need to happen right or you create some sort of best practice of like how I create grasshopper scripts, right? And from now on, your computational design team, as much as possible, follows this sort of best practices where, you know, metadata and language is very important. So explain to us always. 
because I don't expect Grasshopper itself to do that for us. It would be nice if Grasshopper itself has a way to do it, right? But yeah, uh, so ideally the component would work because that's the easy data that we have. We have components and connections and relationships from the XML itself. So if you start with a component, from the point of view of the language model, it doesn't see any component, no image, no wire, right? The component is just a, a, a prompt of XML and then it just gives you some continuations, right? Some of them will be like overfit to what it saw, to the data, which is good. In design, by the way, in computational design, overfitting is not bad, always. Why? Because we very typically, we want to do the same continuation, right? That's what we want to do. So maybe it's good to continue it as we always do, right? Or, and sometimes if you also plan and you use the model to, to prompt like 10 different, you know, and diverse, continuations, you can find new stuff to do. Uh, so you can imagine this as a learning tool, for example. Maybe people just put components, you know, someone is learning Grasshopper, they just drop a component and they see like five different continuations. Okay, I take this one, then five more, I take this one. And at the end, if you can have it, then they have something that does a task. And you know, they just, the, their task let after is to understand how, how this works. It would be a nice learning tool, for example. Uh, better than what I did with like Grasshopper and the form, like you know, like this. Too. So yeah, yeah, that's the that's the idea. And like literally, like every day uh, when I use OpenAI Codex in Visual Studio, like sometimes it gives me more efficient or cleaner way to execute a particular intent. So like if someone is defining a geometry, like even the best practices prompt can save lot of computation or efficient way or maybe alternative ways to solve the same problem yeah and the cool thing about codex you can i've seen a lot of tweets and examples of people like you get very different results with how you prompt it you know like so prompting uh, we said before i think is a whole science and a new job for the future uh, so yeah how would you prompt it and that that's even interesting right if we had a model like that for grasshopper then suddenly Computational designers would become experts in prompting this kind of models. And I guarantee you, like, even like a few months later, a few weeks later, you would get like novel things generated because of someone found a way to put the components in a specific way to create something new. Right? That, that's, I think that's very exciting. The same way people are creating better code by prompting it nicely, right? by putting a bit bigger context. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And code, codex. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a developer. I can code, but you know, it helps me in a way in the very menial part of the, of the coding stuff. Like when I need to, and also it helps me. Like you know, it's sort of like I don't need Stack Overflow. You know, like okay, <laughs> um, design. You know, give me the minimum. You know, graph distance function. But you, you know, immediately it gives you instead of Googling it. So it's really helpful. And why not? Like, it doesn't always need to be like, you know, again, I go back to like this image generation, general image generation. It's beautiful. You can create art. But sometimes we might need simpler things that are very time consuming as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, it might be interesting, like if someone has like parametric stairs and then another prompt is in the form of facade or building, then like, it would create yeah. some <laughs> cool combination. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what you can do with that in the form. And, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, so let's do like a rapid fire to conclude the interview. You'll have like 10 okay. to 15 seconds and keep it brief. Okay. okay. So which three papers are in, in your top reading list? Three research papers. Three research papers. Ah, research papers. Uh, so uh, alpha code probably. Uh, sorry. I cannot do. It. There are so many. Huh? Like maybe Palm, the the latest. Actually, it's not Palm. It's Optimal Compute. I forget training Optimal Compute language models. That was the other one, because it showed that you can do much better with less. And yeah, I don't know. There are too many. Maybe this this implicit, you know, was something lately. It's not. I I I. Okay, I think those two maybe, but I don't have like top three because they are every week, you know, they change. Yeah. I am testing your paper retrieval algorithm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not very good. Yeah, I definitely need retrieval. <laughs> I see. So my next question is, uh, can you name one of your favorite or top model for language, image generation and multimodal? Language, GBDJ is really good, uh, both the pre-trained and if you train your own, because the code base is really nice and uh, you can do it on TPU. Uh, image, I mean, I like the VQGAN workflows and the new diffusion models by, by Catherine, as I said. Uh, rivers have wings, her Twitter handle for people to follow her. And, and then Glide, I really like Glide. It's not open source. Like there is a smaller open source. The best image models are not open source. So Glide and Dali, I guess, Dali too. And you also have another one, language image. Multimodal. Ah, multimodal. Yeah, okay, we said already. So Glide probably, mm. or Dali too. Image itself, yeah, style gun maybe. Yeah, I would say. Got it. Uh, picks to picks, picks to picks, very good, very good. <laughs> so what it does is still state of the art, yeah. I see. And uh, what are like some ideas uh, you would like to do if you had unlimited time and resources mm, in AC, so, AI DC? Yeah. So I want to do alpha design. So I would like to do alpha design. So like alpha go, you know, alpha code, alpha design. So I would really like to do it. I want to, I want to, to experiment and see if we can work with like self play, self play and planning for design. I think that's probably the most long horizon, but even that, no, long horizon, maybe a couple of years, right? It's not like a decade or anything. If you had resources, maybe you do it in a few months. Not us, maybe some people mind if they cared about design. So alpha design, I think, would be the top, yeah. Good. And three things you would do to increase AI, AC, education, awareness, and skill adoption. Uh, about education, I'm not sure. I mean, make things available and open source, like knowledge, especially not the models and stuff. So, like, explain it. You know how you do it. Do workshops. You know, share. Uh, for awareness, I think the best thing I can do is bring this stuff to practice, and that's that's a a very explicit goal I have for the near future. And what was the third? I'm sorry, it's getting late. Uh, adoption in industry adoption okay so for adoption industry first 
again, you need to bring it to practice, again, an explicit goal. And second, I think I'm going to focus on, on sort of like showing that certain things can be very good wins, like in a way like they work and I want to prove it. So it's just that, it's just putting them to practice and showing people that they work. Uh, so it's, it's nothing very wild. Just bring it, bring it to practice. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And how do you foresee metaverse affecting our profession? I'm not sure in that. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, hopefully it will affect it in ways that it will change it drastically and radically. And it won't just be like, you know, having our offices in the metaverse and doing everything <laughs> else the same. So, yeah, hopefully it will allow people to sort of like build their own worlds, you know, virtual worlds. And by doing that, appreciate how design works, how, how the real world in a way should be designed or maybe find new styles new styles and new configurations. So that, that would be the best way, I think, as a sort of design exploration space for humans, yeah. Got it. Uh, and Theodore, anything uh, we didn't cover, cover in this interview and you would like to share the message? No, I think, I think that's all. Like my message always is like telling people uh, that, you know, all you have to do to start in all this, it's just that there's nothing else. Like you just need to do the first step. And my positive sort of like advice that I want to, I tend to close with is that we have a lot, a lot to offer to the AI domain and many other domains. It's not just that, you know, we just borrow from them. Mm -hmm. So please, please get involved, you know, because this will happen anyways without you. It is happening already. So get involved because, you know, that's the only way you can steer it to a better direction. Yeah, when are you starting back the reading paper session? That was a great initiative. Yeah, <laughs> so I apologize, apologize for that. It completely, like, it was going very well and then life got up, got up. but I, I have plans for very soon after some things uh, move forward to reinitiate the community and the reading session with so once a week and you know time zone so that will happen hopefully in the summer yeah Apologies awesome for, yeah, thanks a lot for your time and like uh, for all the work you're doing for the industry it's really inspiring to like see your thoughts and your progress because uh, we look forward to like your recommendations uh, on social for sure no, thank you for having me. I hope some of what I said was interesting and some people got some threads. Yeah, that's all. So have thank a good you. night. Bye bye.